Welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition. This is a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you save all your passwords securely and use them on your computer and on your phone. So you spend less time trying to remember your password and more time getting things done. All your passwords remembered like magic. There's no place like Chrome. On today's episode, Meg Linehan joins Michelle Owen, Charlotte Harper, and Michael Cox to give you the perfect guide to the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Michelle Owen, and today we bring you your guide to the tournament with everything you need to know to be World Cup ready. So let's go. Joining me today from the UK, it's writers Michael Cox. Hello, Michael. Hello. Charlotte Harper. Hiya, Charlotte. Hello. And from across the pond, it's senior writer, also known as Queen of Soccer, Meg Linehan. Hiya, Meg. That's not my official title, but hello. Well, it is on this podcast now. That's it for the the next few weeks. Uh, Cards on the table straight away, then. We're going to be an England first show because, Meg, you have your show as well. So... Plug it and give us the top line on how you'll be different to what we're doing here. Yes, so you can follow full time with Meg Linehan here at The Athletic, anywhere else that you get your podcast. But we are going to be more of a U.S. focus show. Obviously, we're going to do three shows a week around the group stage. And then once we hit the knockouts, it's it's all on the table. So we will have plenty of episodes for you from mostly New Zealand, but hopefully some from Australia as well. And your show title is much shorter than ours, right? <laughs> a little bit. Full time, you know. <laughs> okay, you know, we can go with that. Uh, right, this show will be with you every single match day to ensure you never miss a beat from Australia and New Zealand. Now, too many preview shows just go from Group A onwards in a very regimented system, but we do not want to do that. Now, instead, we're going to do full cup draw mode, a random order to keep you on your toes. And if you believe that, you believe anything. So into the fishbowl of balls. And first out is, would you believe it? It's Group D. A focus here then, of course, on the Lionesses who go into this tournament as second favourites behind the USA. Uh, at least that's according to British bookmakers here. Charlotte, the European champions a year ago, uh, they might have been favourites going in, but obviously injuries have, have massively changed the outlook of this squad. We're looking at a less experienced team, aren't we? We are looking at a less experienced team, especially in terms of caps. If you look at Michael's article on The Athletic, this tournament we're averaging around 32 caps per player compared to 40 at the Euros and 46 at the last World Cup. Obviously, Leah Williamson, huge blow, Beth Mead, Fran Kirby, that trio does weaken the squad. But England have an excellent manager in Serena Wiegmann, a decent squad. It's all about individual quality and whether they turn up when it matters. Uh, Millie Bright has returned to training with the squad um, as of Sunday. So fingers crossed she should be ready for that opening game. And patchy form, especially... I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say scraped through against Brazil in the finalissima on penalties, then lost to Australia, then drew with Portugal. So compared to the Euros build-up, England are in a different place, but we're not panicking just yet. No, and hopefully room for optimism there as well, I could tell. Michael, over on The Athletic, you've analysed every player in the squad. One player perhaps we have a big question mark over, as we have had the whole of her international career, 
is Rachel Daly. She's a striker at club level, my club Aston Villa, yet consistently a left-back for her country. Uh, in the warm-up match against Portugal, she did play up front ahead of Alicia Rousseau. Is that where we're going to see her, do you think? Maybe as a follow-up to Ellen White? Yeah, I think all the indications are that she is not just a centre-forward now, but she's England's first-choice centre-forward. She's been given the number nine shirt. She started three or four times up front over the last year for England. She was particularly good in the 2-1 win over Italy in the Arnold Clark Cup. And she's very good at what I think might be England's main game plan, which is getting the ball wide and crossing. She's very good at getting on the end of those crosses. She's excellent in the air. And I think Russo, who would have expected to step up and be uh, you know, England's number nine for this tournament, I think is probably going to have to put up with the role she played last year. Obviously played it to great effect, but coming off the bench probably around 60, 65 minutes and hoping to make the difference that way. Well, we are going to dive deeper into the first 11 ahead of the first match, of course, but we should also mention that moves in January for Beth England and Jordan Nobbs have proved really beneficial. Both have made the squad, Nobbs in particular, feeling it's a good story. Of She's, of course, had those horrible injuries, but she is going to finally make a World Cup. Um, Meg, tell us, how are England being viewed over in America? Are they maybe pretenders to the US national women's team throne? What do you think? I think there's some healthy respect for England. I I have been interested in watching the odds kind of roll through with the U.S. being favorites. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into the U.S., but there's narratives on both sides. But just generally from the players, from fans in general, you know, the gap is gone, right? And that's a good thing. So I don't think it's necessarily pretenders. I think it's a legitimate threat that everybody respects. But there is still very much the expectation that every game is going to be a win over here, no matter what. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure for them, isn't it? Um, quick assessment <laughs> then, Charlotte on England's opponents. Uh, Haiti first in Brisbane, then followed by Denmark in Sydney, China in Adelaide. Um, how are we looking at this group? Are we being presumptuous to say England won Denmark too? I don't think presumptuous. I think that's par for the course. It would be a real shock if England didn't finish top of the group. And the, and the natural follower to that is Denmark in second. Um, they have a good, strong squad, plenty of talent. Katrina Kula, who made the move to Arsenal. Uh, and of course, Penilla Harder, who just takes the game by the scruff of the net and all eyes will be on her. So England one, Denmark two. That would be a fair prediction. And Haiti, Michael, you've written perhaps about their key player? Yeah, Melanie Domine, who made the difference in the playoff against Chile with two really, really good goals. And I mean, she is an excellent, potentially world-class player. She's on the way to Lyon next season, having had a really good Ligue 1 campaign at Rem. Um, and she's kind of a counter-attacking central midfielder, I guess. I mean, we can expect Haiti to play on the break against England, probably in all their games. That should be a relatively comfortable win from England. But yeah, she is, I mean, a seriously, seriously good player who England will have to be careful of. But yeah, you'd expect that they would be. I mean, I think a win would be a great achievement for them. It would be a huge surprise if they made it out of the group. Just as someone who was in Mexico for CONCACAF qualifiers for the World Cup and the Olympics last summer, I wouldn't call any game against Haiti comfortable because they will they will hit you. <laughs> so it is, I think, a game for every team to watch out for. Oh, wow. We're going to have to keep an eye out for that. Maybe more interesting than we were looking forward to. Thanks, Meg. Right, let's get back into my fishbowl of letters to pull out our next group. And it is... Group E. Uh, Meg, we've just been talking about the US then. The pressure sounds enormous uh, over across the pond. If we're being honest, though, does it feel a little different this tournament to say 
2019 or or maybe all the other tournaments before this that they've been in it is a very different vibe i think we're really very much in a transition time for this team that's been i think a very fair narrative to to put around this team that we're now in you know this is megan rapino's last tournament that was the big news from the send-off match we've got kids coming in like sophia smith naomi germa who are really like the pressure is on for them to lead this team so there is a bit of a sense that we have now ended that you know 2011 to 2019 era of the team and we are now in the next phase so just from that alone everything does feel really different so the expectations then for the team going to australia and new zealand they they beat my um my welsh team 2-0 but i mean that was was that tight for a while how did it play out and is that done anything for the team it you know it's really it's tough because i feel like every send-off match for the u.s is a weird time like they just it it always feels weird you know this is why charlotte talking about England's lead up like I feel like before World Cup everybody plays in the most bizarre fashion possible and then we actually get to the World Cup and everybody just kind of reverts to form we're like oh okay nothing matters um but yeah it was a it was a rough first half for the U.S. Trinity Rodman comes on in the second half and it, it felt like immediately changed the game again there is this amazing young talent that has been ready to kind of take over the mantle for this team but you know the expectations I think are still obviously winning it all but the the factor that I think we have to discuss here is that they have lost their team captain Becky Sauerbrunn to injury that is a a deeply important leader on and off the field Mallory Swanson I mean just their injury list (laughs) compared to again you're talking about feels different than 2019 the players that are no longer on the squad whether that's through retirement through injury it's just a very different vibe but the DNA of this team is winning so expectation will always be that where you can get a much fuller preview on all things US with Meg over on full time. But assessing their competition in Group B, all eyes are drawn to the rerun of the last World Cup final, the Netherlands against the USA. But do you actually think that that could be the standout match? Or might it be, Michael, Netherlands v Portugal? Because you've written the team guide to the Netherlands. I certainly don't think we should consider it formality that it will be the US and the Netherlands that will get out of the group. One, because... I'm not sure the Netherlands are in great shape, obviously, without Miedemar. Um, They lack an equivalent for her. They've got great quality in midfield, but maybe not necessarily the most prolific front line. And Portugal have consistently proved themselves quite difficult to break down as well. I mean, we saw that in the, the game against England recently, which finished uh, goalless. And it's also going to be, I mean, that match is going to be down in Dunedin, which is going to be potentially quite, uh, I mean, really cold. I mean, it's, it's going to be quite a... Uh, unglamorous World Cup fixture that I think for the Netherlands so yeah I don't think this group is a formality at all I think Portugal could um, could throw a spanner in the works particularly in that game against the Netherlands okay well let's touch on group E let's dive back in and next it is group B which contains to tell us more about this group we're dialing up our friend and colleague Steph Young When this group was originally drawn last fall, you might have called it the group of death, and maybe that's still so, but I don't think you can ignore the off-field turmoil for at least two of these teams, Nigeria and Canada, both of whom are in serious disputes with their federations over funding and support. Canada's seems to be resolving, 
Christine Sinclair told media in a July 9th call about the roster that she believed the players would get an interim agreement from the Federation before the tournament started. Head coach Bev Priestman said in that call as well that the ongoing negotiations haven't affected the group and that they've been given every chance to have a good camp. But even if that's all resolved, this is a team that has been hit hard by the injury bug. They lost veteran midfielder Desiree Scott, and then they have Jade Rose having to withdraw from camp as well with an injury. So I think this is a team that's going to be really trying to juggle bench depth and managing minutes throughout the tournament. Nigeria's dispute with their federation is a little more obfuscated, at least in the public eye, but head coach Randy Waldrum and former assistant coach Lauren Gregg have both been extremely vocal in the past week or so about the lack of support from the Nigerian Federation. And then an NFF spokesperson is out here calling Waldrum an incompetent loudmouth in the press. And there's rumors of the players boycotting their first game over the Federation, canceling their bonus payments from FIFA. This is an ongoing issue, but I don't think you can discount the emotional toll something like this takes on you. I think that's something to really keep a close eye on. Both Ireland and Australia have looked good in recent results, and I'd actually bet on Ireland to be a fair performer, maybe even over Australia, given the massive pressure that's on the Matildas to perform in a home tournament. Ireland did recently lose 3-0 against France in their send-off game before the tournament, but they didn't look awful. And I think this is a team that is not going to get steamrolled and they're going to put up a fight against every other team in the group. And no one should be surprised if they come away with three points somewhere in there, maybe four. I think there's maybe some unfair assumption that Australia are a tournament favorite given they had struggles before their recent better run of form this year, particularly at center back. And they're another team that's juggling a little bit of injury management right now, too. Mary Fowler is an important example. I think she's one of the preferred pairings for Sam Kerr at forward, but she might not be available right away. I think you look deeper down into midfield, players like Courtney Vine and Kara Cooney-Cross are going to be pretty vital in Australia's buildup. You can put Katrina Gorey in there, too, as like that general who's going to control their tempo. So I actually wouldn't call this a group of death so much as a group of opportunity. I think there's a lot of room here for one team to grab some points against the flow of assumption. Uh, Charlotte, two things we want to focus on here then. One, Australia. Are they, you know, maybe dark horses for this tournament? Um, but then again, you know, I feel they're quite known to be to be having that sort of tag. So maybe they're light ponies instead. I like the light ponies description. I think they could be galloping... Deep into the knockouts, A, Sam Kerr, hugely impressive across any league that she's played in domestically, and B, a home crowd. We know how Serena Wiegmann got England to tap into that home crowd and how advantageous that was in the Euros last year. And we know the Aussies, they love any sport. They love to get behind their team. They will be loud, they'll be raucous, they'll be hostile to other teams. Um, so, yeah, watch out for the light ponies. And they've got a decent squad. It's not just Sam Kerr. We saw how they beat England 2-0 going into the tournament. There was kind of concerns about their consistency and the management and how they'd pull through. But Australia, definitely one to watch out for. Uh, Meg, we'll aim this one your way then. Canada, 
and off-field chaos so far. We've not focused on any of the controversies surrounding the various teams participating because, let's be honest, it's becoming a very very long list Um, almost every team has got something rumbling on whether it's going to be with funding pay questionable coaches I mean where's where's the balance going to be struck here in this tournament focusing on the football but trying not to ignore those bigger questions because it feels like I don't know about you three but it feels like finally we've got so much attention on a tournament but there's a danger that these off-field issues could be taking away from the football and how far the game is developing I don't think it's taking away from it because I think these are deeply, deeply important conversations to be having. And I think, you know, an an organization like FIFPRO, right, the global union, plays a really big role here in using the platform of a World Cup to then highlight issues. But, I mean, I even think back to the mix zone in 2019 with, with Endler from Chile coming through the mix zone and just spending... I don't know, an hour in the mix zone, basically using that time to kind of issue this plea of can can please help us, like please invest in us, please give us the resources. Like we have played against the US, we have held them to a, a decent result for us. And this is my chance to ask for these things. This is my chance to use the platform of a game against the US. So there is a balance. And I think we have seen that the football really is coming first in this tournament, but there are all of these off-field issues and whether that's investment resources, fighting with federations, abuse, like there are myriad issues, but they they shouldn't be shunted to the side simply because A, the platform is so crucial right now. This is when everybody's paying attention. This is the chance to actually raise these issues in a meaningful way and get public opinion swayed, right? In forcing everybody's hand to like actually do better. But B, because this is a chance for players, I think, to actually be in this global setting and say, where have we made strides? Where are the challenges? Where are the the ways that we could improve this? And there's so many people just kind of around a World Cup that are going to be having these conversations. So there is a balance and the game does have to come first. But, you know, putting it aside and being like, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it after the tournament, I think honestly only does a disservice to the players. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Up next, it's Group A. New Zealand, Norway, Philippines, Switzerland. Are the host New Zealand, Meg, uh, what sort of chance do they have? Well, they do have a chance, Olivia chance. You're not feeling my jokes today? That's fine. We've only got another few weeks of it. Uh, but in all seriousness, New Zealand, the expectations surrounding them, pretty different. They've never won a game in the World Cup. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, I, I do think that they have a chance of winning a game in this group stage, right? You have debutants uh the philippines in their group as well right so you would you would think maybe that there's a there's a shot there for them and again home crowd always going to play a role the fact that norway or i'm sorry new zealand had only played in eden park in january against the u.s right like their home national stadium new zealand only just played in there this year so expectations are remarkably different but i think you know Winning a game, step number one, if they can make it out of group, that is, I think, a massive, massive accomplishment for New Zealand. Michael, uh, Norway then, what do we make of them? Because many of us will just remember the terrible, terrible Euros performance, including that 8-0 loss to England in the group stages. But then when you read through the squad list, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, in midfield and attack, I think they've got a decent uh, claim to having basically the the strongest uh, unit in the competition. I think they're excellent going forward. The 8-0 was a slight freak result 
on one hand, but also not because they basically just lack good defenders. They've got Marimielda back, who's now 33, and to be fair, was excellent against Barcelona in that two-legged tie for Chelsea. But yeah, the back line is, is the question mark. I think if you're going to go deep into a tournament, usually you've got to keep clean sheets, and I'm not sure they will against the strongest teams, but certainly they should be entertaining. Uh, I mean... You know, they had a great squad going into the Euros last year, but I mean, Guru Reeton, I think, was the best player in the WSL this season, and Freedom Marnham probably not too far behind. So they're probably even in stronger shape than last year. Charlotte, if you could pick a match from this group to be looking forward to the most, which would it be? New Zealand versus Switzerland. I'm up for that tasty tie. Switzerland have got a really good kind of trio of leaders in uh, Romana Backman, Leah Volti, Anna Maria, Sana Gorchevich. That's where I'm putting my money on for the most entertaining match. I went for uh, Switzerland as my dark horses, by the way. I'm absolutely not having Australia as dark horses. <laughs> but uh, I think I think partly for, uh, because of what Charlotte says about the, the quality in the team, but also just the group. I mean, you know, the seeded team are the hosts who probably aren't going to progress. So they've, they've basically lucked out because of that. So if you're looking for a, a kind of real outsider to maybe make the quarterfinal, semifinal, I think Switzerland could be it. Absolutely. Watch this space. Okay, more previews coming up after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Up next then, it is Group H. Columbia. Germany, Morocco, Republic of Korea. This is the group where we meet the athletics favourites and Euros runners-up, Germany. Always a tricky customer at tournaments. And Charlotte, Meg and Michael, they are your favourites for this tournament. So one by one, please tell me why, starting with you, Charlotte. My heart goes for France, actually. I've got a soft spot for France, but my head goes for Germany. I think it's one step too far for France, and we'll come on to that, but Germany, um, a really good manager in Martina Voss-Tecklenburg, pushed England far in the Euros. And that was without Alexandra Pop. Decent manager, decent squad, have been there, done it before, know what it takes to win a World Cup. And given what Meg said about the US in transition, I think it could be a US-Germany final. And that's why I'm going Germany to win. Michael? Yeah, a lot of the same reasons as Charlotte. I just think they've got a really good squad. Maybe not necessarily the best 11, but I think when you look at the maybe the five substitutes that might come on, I think they look really strong. And and like Charlotte says, I mean, you know, it was quite a late, scrappy winning goal that did it for England. Germany were, you know, I think probably England's equal in that in that final last year. And without two of their key players, because Clara Ball was... was um, out because of COVID as well. So if you take away England's home advantage, maybe get a different result. And yeah, I, I think Germany just looked really strong. And Meg, I know a few people have said, what are you doing back in Germany when you should be back in the US? But what, what do you think? <laughs> I just, they they have kind of escaped the worst of the injuries, right? That have basically hit every major team in some form or fashion. So that's win number one. And two, I, I don't think that you can overstate how like, losing a tournament directly before like I think about the the U.S. losing the Olympics in or not losing but you know exiting the Olympics in 2016 and how that fueled them for 2019 so having that kind of tournament like heartbreak right before another major tournament 
it's a tougher turn, I think, from Euros to World Cup. But in this one, I think it's just going to be in their in their favor. Alex Pop is the player to watch. This could be her last tournament. So the F word will be heard a lot around her over the coming weeks. Not that one. I'm talking about fairy tale. Get your mind out of the gutter. Let's move on, Michael. Why is she such a difficult player to go up against? She's just fantastic in the penalty box. Incredibly physically dominant. Um, a tall player, but I think one who's also really good at timing her jumps. And at times it feels like Germany, if they run out of ideas, they can just launch the ball long into the box and Pop will make something of it. And yeah, I mean, as we've just said, if she was fit for last year's final, maybe it could have been a different story. Uh, Germany aside, I suppose this is probably the group that casual viewers will know the least about. Meg, when you look at the remaining sides in it, what match is a must watch for you? Again, Germany aside. I mean, I think all of these matchups are so weird and interesting because these are teams that we just don't really ever see interact in any form. <laughs> I think I am looking forward to Colombia, Morocco, Morocco, another team that's making their debut. Colombia, I think uh, for folks in the U.S. know a lot through Melissa Ortiz, who is now a broadcaster here and, and her experience with that team. Again, a, a team with a lot of stuff happening off of the field. So I think there's a lot of narratives around that one. But I also like I'm honestly just excited to see what South Korea can make of this group because I, I do think that they are most likely to advance after Germany. And Michael, we need to mention Colombia's Linda Caicedo. Am I saying that right? Caicedo? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, she's only 18. Yeah, she's had an amazing journey. What makes her stand out to you? Yeah, in the women's game, we get used to players doing things at a young age, but her numbers are incredible. She finished top goal scorer in the Colombian League at 14, top goal scorer in the Copa Libertadores at 16. She wins best player of the tournament in almost every game she plays, every tournament she plays in. Weirdly, this is going to be her third World Cup in a year because she's already played in the under 17 and the under 20. She's also got, uh, I mean, incredible part of her story. She was uh, diagnosed with ovarian cancer a couple of years ago and and has happily made a full recovery. And she's a, a number 10 who can do it all. And I think maybe top of the list in terms of what she can do is, is score spectacular goals. She's the kind of player who's you know, gone viral a couple of times for scoring incredible long-range goals. And it's going to be really, really exciting to see what she does at this tournament. Colombia, I think, you know, relatively uh, unfamiliar to most of us in the women's game, but this is a player who I think has the potential to be the best in the world. We'll definitely keep an eye out for her then. Time for another group. And look, it is Group C. Costa Rica, Japan, Spain, Zambia. Now, Spain stand out here, of course, but all is not well in the camp. So it's high time we got another voice on to tell us more about La Raja. It's Laia Saveo Herrero. Spain go into this tournament with a mixed bag of feelings. On the one hand, despite the notable absences of Mapi Leon and Patrick Guijarro especially, although Sandra Paños is also missing, they have one of the best squads they have ever had in their history. The return of important players such as Aitana Bormati, Alexia Putellas and Ona Badia have been key to complementing a squad that lacked talent. On the other hand, on the sporting side, everything that has happened in the last few months of protests by the 15 players has definitely affected the squad. According to some sources that are in New Zealand, the atmosphere is not the best between some players who have not spoken to each other for months. The uncertainty is how this will affect a competition like uh, the World Cup, if these previous weeks will be enough to calm down a situation that has been solved at the last minute. Spain has a relatively 
easy group stage with a debutant like Zambia, a team with a little experience like Costa Rica and Japan, which is the only team that can present them with problems. From Spain, there is not much expectation due to the internal problems within the team, but they are also aware of the quality of the players. So the expectations are between the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. Thank you, Laia. Okay, more off-pitch issues around the team. But from a football perspective, Michael, the dispute with the Spanish Federation has calmed down uh, a little, although listening to Laia, not nearly enough. Um, some players have been recalled that we've mentioned there. It means on the pitch, we should see a very strong Spain, shouldn't we? Um, is that the reason they're third favourites with the bookies? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, a, a strong uh, spine from the Barcelona team, which has been the best in Europe for the last three or four years now. Um, and they'll probably keep the ball as well as anyone. Uh, in in Poteas and Bomati, they have you know two players who can control the game, create chances. You sometimes wonder with Spain whether they're going to turn their dominance into goals. And I think the loss of Mapi Leon at the back is a huge loss because her partnership with Paredes, I think, worked really well at the Euros last year. So, yeah, in terms of talent, they're, they're right up there. I mean, you could argue they've got the strongest eleven in the tournament. But, you know, from, from what Elias says, all is not well behind the scenes. And, you know, if there are rumblings of discontent in a tournament where you're together for a few weeks, when you're on the other side of the world, these things tend to kind of bubble over. So, yeah, based upon what Laia says, I'd have uh, doubts about them to win this tournament. Yep, more drama there. Meg, two words for you. Barbara Banda, Zambia's flair player. The reason we'll be talking about them as having the potential to upset. For listeners who didn't watch the Olympics, why is she the one to watch? And can we expect more from this side? I mean, also for listeners who didn't watch their, their tune-up friendly against Germany, right? I mean just a wildly exciting player, can score goals. I mean, I think a lot is going to be said about her pace, right? But even pace aside, the way that she can create space, open up space for her teammate, like you have to respect her along the back line, but she she can strike at any minute as Germany learned, right? So I think that there's really a good a good chance for Zambia to, to really just surprise some folks. But again, to, to the points about Spain too, there is off the field stuff happening around this team as well, around their head coach. So it is just a factor that I think we, we don't really have a great sense of yet. Yeah. Uh, also, Zambia's schedule, they're only traveling 246 kilometers. Compare this to Ireland. They've got to travel 8,252 kilometers. Uh, that's the advantage of playing in New Zealand after all, I guess. Michael, can we expect more from Japan? They're a bit disappointing in 2019, weren't they? Yeah, I'm not sure they've got a particularly good squad at the moment. I, I'm just not sure they have the players to really make a, a run in this competition, which is uh, a bit of a shame. But they've got some stars. I mean, Kamagai at the back is still around, still one of the most unique players in the tournament. And they've got a couple of good youngsters. Micah Hamano is one of the players who has been profiled on the radar, which is our list of uh, 50 kind of players to, to watch at this tournament. I saw her make her debut for Hammerby when I was over in Sweden a couple of months ago, and she looked very, very dangerous. She's owned by Chelsea. I think we'll be returning there at some point. Um, so, yeah, they've got some talents, but it's not, um, yeah, for a kind of past World Cup winner, it's maybe not as formidable an 11 as you would hope mm, for. Okay, two groups to go then, and up next it is Group F. Brazil, France, Jamaica, Panama. 
This is a hugely intriguing group. Brazil have never quite got it right on the world stage. France certainly haven't. Uh, Jamaica have Bunny Shaw, and there's a big dispute there as well. And then there's Panama, who make their tournament debut. Charlotte, you mentioned them a little earlier. France, new coach, new dawn. Um, tell us what's been going on. It's exactly that, just a, a breath of fresh air and that kind of relief probably of Wendy Renard's shoulders. Um, gone is the toxicity of the climate in the camp from Corin Diacra's reign. Um, Wendy Renard, the captain, gets on very uh, well with Elve Renard, the manager, no relation, but was instrumental uh, to bringing him in. A squad littered with talent. Everyone saying, how have France not won anything in previous years, given from back to front, they have depth and they have quality. The big target is 2024 Paris Olympics, home Olympics for them to bring uh, back the gold. I think it may be too early for a World Cup victory, given that Elvia Renard spent nine days with the squad in the last international break in April. So by the time the World Cup starts, he would have probably spent five weeks with his players. But really, really exciting to watch France. I'm looking forward to this tournament for them. As for Brazil, you know what? No one can speak Portuguese quite like Jack Lang. Let's get him to tell us all about the Celicel Feminina. Obviously, Brazil have kind of been the nearly team in the World Cup over the last few editions. Kind of crazy to think that they've never won it, given the talent they've had. This year, not really considered among the top favourites. The consensus is it's a team in transition. I spoke to Rafaeli, the captain, a couple of months ago, and that was very much her view. They think they've got a lot of improving to do, put it that way. So they'll be hopeful, but not overly uh, full of expectation. The team's built on a really solid defence rather than uh, superstar attackers. A lot of attention, of course, will be on Marta. Wonderful from Marta, absolutely wonderful. Now finishes. Yes, she does! It's one of the great goals of the World Cup. Probably her last World Cup at 37. She's been on the scene since 2007, so obviously there's a lot riding on her being able to finally win the big one, as it were. But beyond that, you know, the coach, Pia Sundhage, is a really nice character. She's loved in Brazil. She's kind of always getting her guitar out singing Brazilian songs. Drops little English words into her uh, Brazilian-Portuguese press conferences and she's loved for that. And then, yeah, lots of kind of younger players coming through that it's worth keeping an eye on. Pronunciation-wise, the only really tough one, not even that tough, the, the forward, Barcelona forward, G-E-Y-S-E, that's Jay-Z. And that is an instant impact from Geysa. Jay-Z. So now pronunciation-wise, commentators are going to have 99 problems, but that ain't one. Well, Jamaica shouldn't be ignored here either with one Bunny Shaw. The reggae girls not only have the best nickname in world football, but they've had a bit of a struggle with funding themselves as well. They are using a crowdfunding platform to help them. Jay Harris has the story, which you can read over on The Athletic soon. And we'll definitely get him on later in the tournament to tell the full story too. Finally, last but not least, it's Group G. Argentina, Italy, South Africa, Sweden. Okay, Michael, 
Sweden always there in the final stages of tournaments. More of the same then, would you expect? They've got a very good squad. The Euros last year was interesting because slightly unusually for Sweden, they really kind of big themselves up going into the tournament um, in a quite un-Swedish way. They were happy to speak about themselves as favourites. And then they didn't play that well. They did get through to the semis. And then they suffered that quite humbling 4-0 loss to England in, in Sheffield. And I think that was quite a big thing for them to get over. They've gone through a couple of changes, particularly in goal. There's a question mark about who's going to be there. Probably Jennifer Falk, because Hedvig Lindahl retired after last year, after 20 years around. I, I do get a sense just the maybe the attacking section of the side just doesn't quite fit together. There isn't that much cohesion at times. That said... Fridolina Rolfo has had a great season for Barcelona, scored the winner in the Champions League final. Uh, Stina Blackstenius, I think, is stronger for 80 months at Arsenal. So you'd absolutely expect them to top this group. And then they've got, I think they've got a decent run from there. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be probably quarterfinalists. They, they tend to get to the final four in these tournaments. So I think they are going to be a factor. Charlotte? Sweden, if they, if they keep their starting 11 on the pitch, then that's the biggest thing for them, considered they've been littered with injuries, knocks here and there, and then they were hampered by COVID in the Euros last year. And um, back with Italy, like the um, Sara Gamma, the captain hasn't been called up. That was quite an interesting uh, selection choice from Bertolini. And Italy, yeah, they've just been a bit stodgy recently. Um, lethargic, never turned up, looked quite poor. So yeah, it'll be interesting as Meg says for this group. Worth noting as well that Peter Gerhardsen gives the most excellent of post-match press conferences in 2019 after beating Germany. He said, there's not a single mitochondria, GCSE, science B, that's me, uh, in us that's content. That's the only reason I knew what that was. Uh, We're going to go for it. Let's hope for more of that in this tournament. Now, going by ranking alone, it should be Italy that follows Sweden out of this group. But given their performance at the Euros and since, that seems unlikely so instead Meg who do you think is going to get into the knockout stages I mean I'm maybe not as down on Italy (laughs) although the Euros were miserable for them but South Africa is really interesting I mean they they were in the tournament in 2019 did not really do well they have an interesting group here to maybe take advantage of it but they really have to find scoring and uh, Tembi Katlana has been in really good form uh, here in the end of Bussell with racing Louisville FC um, she missed their qualifiers uh, the final through injury I-, I think there is going to be a lot put on her shoulders to provide scoring for this team and goals are really hard to come by I think in a world cup so will be interesting but again South Africa another team where they their final game the team protested right so again there's just really there's a lot of subplots to this group but South Africa is a team that people should be watching okay well that wraps that up we have flown through that and if you're itching for more then you can read full group by group guides over on the athletic as well as an in-depth guide to the top 10 teams at the tournament if you're not yet a subscriber then head to theathletic.com forward slash wsl pod for our latest offer of 199 a month for the first six months this has been full time with meg lenahan journey to the cup edition a special episode brought to you by google chrome Google Chrome lets you securely save your payment info so you can check out quickly and conveniently. There's no place like Chrome.